Hello, welcome to Bethany. Welcome to the, all of you in the room. I think this is the most we've had since we've been meeting back in person. This is exciting. Uh, welcome to those who are joining us online. A special welcome to Bethany West. So glad you guys could join us online today as well. Uh, join me in prayer for our time this morning. Lord God, I thank you so much that this room represents just a real small portion of the people who are gathering today uh, throughout the world in an effort to hear you and an effort to connect with you, to be in community with one another, all uh, in an effort to be more like you as Graham just prayed. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to hear you. And Lord, that we would be able to lean into you as uh, whatever actions you give us uh, out of this space or whatever uh, ways you want us to sit with you, Lord, that we would uh, be with you as you um, continue to, to uh, entrench that in our hearts and bodies. In your name, amen. So back in March of 2020, that week that we went 100% virtual, you know, because of the stay home, stay healthy order, was the week that I was slated to preach. And then the apocalypse started. So I don't think there's a connection between the two of those things. But if something crazy happens after this, I mean, I will take full responsibility. What could even really happen? I mean, if you think about it, there's not much left that could happen Perhaps if those dinosaurs from Jurassic Park get off the island, that would be something new. But I mean, really, I feel like we've gone through quite a bit so far. It's been a little intense. Uh, to be clear, I don't really think that we're in the apocalypse in the sense that like Revelation read literally reflects a re uh, apocalypse. Um, uh, but things have just been crazy, right? Uh, we talk about it all the time, so I, we don't need to like rehash the emotional physical, uh, political roller coaster journey that we've all been on in the last year and a half. But a key reason that this feels so apocalyptic to me is that until 16 months ago, I utilized a well-planned system of not spending any time reading about what was going on in the world at all, but rather surrounding myself with brilliant, well-informed people who would give me the summary of local, national, and global news. It really worked out quite well. It was not only a, a huge time saver, uh, but it meant that the news that I was receiving, whether good or bad, was always from the mouth of a friend. So it worked out. It was awesome, actually. But alas, the 30-year run of doing that had to come to an end at some point. It didn't really work for me anymore. So the past year and a half, I've had to read my own news and talk to myself about it. Uh, but in the spirit of paying it forward, let me catch you up on what you may have missed this summer in our series on the fruit of the spirit. And then we'll consider briefly how fruit grows in the desert. Now, if you've heard every sermon, or sermon this summer, uh, great, good job. Then you can just kind of consider this like one step closer to mastery. So Enjoy. Uh, having just rewatched the entire sermon series again, uh, there were a couple of prominent themes woven throughout that I thought were really meaningful. The first is the singularity of the fruit of the Spirit. And the second was the gift of the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is the title or umbrella that we use to describe the many facets of Jesus's character. So Jesus is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These traits describe Jesus's temperament, 
the way he moved about while he was here on earth and how through the Holy Spirit, we're being transformed into God's image as we lean into him. As we're around, as we're in communication with and engage with Christ, we too have the opportunity to continue being developed in these characteristics. So this, what's notable about the singularity of the fruit of the Spirit is that while we've spent 11 weeks looking at nine characteristics, none of these characteristics stand alone at all. No one can develop goodness without also developing patience. All nine of these are kind of this package deal. We have a class here. We're offering it again at the end of the month called Spirit, Soul, Body. And it's intended to help uh, participants understand their relationship with God, themselves, and others in this holistic way. So we do that by focusing on the human person, the, the human experience in the ca- these categories of spirit, soul, and body. So the whole point with this class as is the point with the teaching through the, uh, through the Spirit, is to be able to think deeply about each aspect in order to understand that piece and therefore how it fits into the whole because every piece interacts with each other. There's really no standalone pieces. So in the same way that I can't fully understand my soul or my story, how I've gotten to the place that I am now without seeing that that story is affected and has been shaped by my body, I can't live into peace without also overlapping with self-control. The beauty and one of the gifts given to us in this fruit of the spirit is that by being one thing, not nine things, that when we express just one of Christ's characteristics, we inform and practice all the others at the same time. So when we're gentle, expressing our love, our strength under control, we're also being patient and loving, etc. How great is that? I mean, it's really quite efficient, a, a gift to us. The singularity of the fruit of the Spirit is just one part of the gift given to us in the fruit of the Spirit. All of these characteristics are a gift to us in the sense that we don't have to toil or work for the opportunities to practice them. Nor do we have to like do one of those bootstraps moments where we dig deep inside us to find our strength to engage with them. That's not to say that it's not difficult to be patient with those in our lives who we both love with our whole heart and who love to push our buttons with their whole heart or to figure out how to be loving in the face of what you can only see and understand as something that's hateful and wrong. So the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is a gift doesn't undermine the experience of difficulty or struggle or complexity. Rather, the gift is that we get these opportunities multiple times a day. And it's the overflow of the connection with God that makes them happen. As this series has covered, these connection moments with God come through all the spiritual disciplines. And they come through every other place as well. So uh, Ruth Haley Barton, who's been a spiritual mentor to me this summer through her writings, uh, talks consistently about how we resist moving into spaces where it's just us and God. Like just humankind resists moving into these spaces. She posits that perhaps we resist solitude and other forms of spiritual disciplines because of the anxiety that comes from pulling away from all the activities all the demands on our lives and the really important things that need to be seen or done 
but rather all that important stuff in our life has moved from being the outflow of our identity in Christ to being our identity itself. You can see why she's been this like huge voice uh, this summer. So yes, engage in all the spiritual disciplines. It would be great. Let's do them together. We're doing a rule of life class also this fall. We'd love to have you join us where you can learn and practice spiritual disciplines in community. And God speaks all the time through everything. I went to a dude ranch this summer with my family. It was by and far the best family vacation we've ever been on and not because our family dynamics were great. I mean, everyone in my family who was there would say like, ooh, those are some rough days, but it was literally the best family vacation we've ever been on. Uh, And at one point in the middle of a five-hour cattle drive, you heard me right, a five-hour cattle drive. To be clear, I do not know how to drive cattle. I barely know how to like ride a horse. I'm just very committed to not falling off a horse. And I think horses are majestic creatures. So I was having a great time. Uh, But in the middle of this, uh, I was uh, watching these two sheepdogs who are driving the cattle and AKA really doing all the work. Uh, and I'm, I'm watching this and they are non-stop running. Like these two dogs ran for five hours straight. It was unbelievable. And sometimes, uh, they're running because one of the cows is like getting out of line and like heading in its own direction. And other times they're, they're running because they just literally can't stop. Like they're just doing their thing over and over again. This one dog, um, Jack has this like instinct of herding that's so strong that it's a little bit of overkill. And so multiple times these cows are like charging Jack and Jack's running away. And, and the cowboy, which I mean, it's like a real cowboy. I was born and raised in Seattle. This is like mind blowing to me, uh, but it's true. Uh, um, one of the cowboys is like calling Jack to back off like over and over again, like back off Jack, back off Jack. And as I'm helping with this cattle drive, I'm also hearing the voice of the Lord mention a place or two where I'm like that dog, where I'm running around unnecessarily, sprinting, and what can we do about that? God is speaking all the time, guiding us, inviting us into a deeper life and revealing himself to us. And the beauty of practicing spiritual disciplines is that they will help us hone our senses to hear him and understand him better, but he's speaking all the time through everything. Theologian Dallas Willard asks how we can really become disciples of Christ, people who don't just wish to be different than we currently are, but those who are truly like Christ. In answering his own question, he says that change doesn't come by telling folks to be or not to be something. We can't just tell ourselves or uh, others, each other, to just be better, like be more good or have more self-control but rather what we can do is engage with the life that we have. He says that ordinary events of daily life is the place of discipleship. Living our life is where we will be discipled. This is the pervasive gift to all of us. Daily, we're given chances to practice the fruit of the spirit. And whether we do a pretty decent job or miss the mark, the gift is that we'll not only get more opportunities, probably later that same day, And Christ is with us in those opportunities, right beside us. The Holy Spirit in those moments doing what Jesus promised the Spirit would do in John 14, 26, teach us all things and remind us of everything Jesus said and is. 
And the truth of this gift remains whether we're in a season that feels like fruitfulness and flourishing or if we're in a season that feels barren, like a desert. The human experience being what it is means that most, if not all of us, feel like there's some aspect in our life that's a desert right now. Whether that's circumstantial or an acute desert that you can see the end of, a recoverable illness, current work dissatisfaction, uh, unresolved relational issue that you need, you know, just needs a few more conversations and we'll be fine. Or a more pervasive desert, a non-recoverable illness or death, relational challenges that are now being marked in years rather than fights, profound loneliness and dissatisfaction that's really felt in your body, is felt in your psyche. While there's really good news that fruit grows in the desert, like actually olives, grapes, persimmons, figs, pomegranates, and these, these and others like all thrive in deserts with very little water. They're referred to as drought tolerant trees, which is great. So there's hope. While we're in the desert, fruit is still growing. But it's also notable that fruit trees that are in a season of drought are different than when they aren't in a season of drought. Life in the desert will still bear fruit, but it calls for different expectations during that desert season. We'll kind of quickly unpack this in our time together because the desert changes our capacity, sometimes just for the short term, sometimes in the long run. Actual desert fruit trees, when faced with drought or water shortage, start dropping or removing most of their fruit because it will help the tree survive the season. So by dropping their fruit, it can reduce the tree's water needs by 20 to 30%, thus giving it this fighting chance to make it to the next season where hopefully there's a little bit more water. We can resonate with this and kind of see it in our own lives, right? In the short term, when the stress of life increases and our, our capacity feels like it gets smaller, less patience with those normal life things, less gentle with those who irritate us, quicker to heightened emotions, or just kind of feeling blah, like everything is harder or it takes longer than it used to. Adam Grant, a psychologist and a contributor to the New York Times calls this blah feeling languishing, which is kind of a perfect word. It's kind of almost like an onomatopoeia, right? It's just languishing. I can barely do it because I'm languishing. If you drive from one end of Seattle to the other, during rush hour, and you can honestly pick any direction. You can go north to south, you can go east to west, doesn't matter. Uh, you can see manifestations of this feeling of limited capacity. Uh, in 2017, the insurance company Pemco did a survey and found that of all the major cities in, in the United States, Seattle drivers were the most reluctant to use their horns. I suspect that's not a title we currently still hold uh, because there's just less capacity right now. And so things on the road seem to bother people that didn't used to bother people. But it makes sense, right? We're in the midst of our desert season that our capacity would feel would be less than when we're in a season, when we're not in desert seasons. When life is asking for more of us than we're used to or we feel capable of giving, we totally understand that. We've all been in that. Maybe many of us are in that season right now. While feeling like our capacity is limited during desert seasons is true, natural, and an opportunity for us to give ourselves and others grace, the scripture that Jonathan read earlier expands that that might not be all that God is doing. 
in Matthew 3 and 4, Jesus has just been baptized. The heavens open up and a voice says, this is my son whom I love. And immediately after, Jesus is led by the spirit to the desert. Jesus just had this mountaintop kind of pinnacle of life experience and immediately following has a desert experience where he fasts for 40 days and then is tempted by the devil. Many theologians and commentators think that this sequence of events is actually quite intentional. Eugene Peterson, the translator of the Message Bible, translate Matthew 4, 1 to 3 as... Next, Jesus was taken into the wild by the spirit for the test. The devil was ready to give it. Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus prepared for the test by fasting in the desert in the wilderness. A quick sidebar, just to make sure we're all on the same page. This test is like a definitive thing. God doesn't go around testing Jesus or us willy-nilly just to see if we're gonna pass or not. Uh, It's the test, so Definitive article, the capital T test. So just make sure we're on the same page there. Jesus prepares for the test by going to the desert. And out of that time there, he's able to live into the fruit of the spirit, his own characteristics in a strong and powerful way, which kind of brings up a whole new set of possibilities of what's going on in our own deserts. By definition, a desert is a place that is difficult in some way. So it's stretching us beyond where we're currently at, emotionally, physically, spiritually, a combination of all three. The desert is kind of this antithesis of the oasis, right? No one's bringing you umbrella drinks with a fan on you. It's the opposite of that. The desert is harsher, drier, and far less comfortable. And yet Jesus is entering into this space of the desert to prepare, which implies that there is a strengthening, an expansion a power, a connection to God that can only be found in the desert. As I've been kind of, you know, trying to wrap my mind around this whole idea, thinking about my own past and present deserts, the ones that I know about that are represented here in the room, certainly those uh, local and global deserts that our brothers and sisters are walking in right now, all of those experiences have some sort of grief associated with them. Loss difficulty, powerlessness, victimization, broken hearts. So how can the desert be a good thing while also giving voice uh, to the reality of the pain that's in those spaces? The last thing I would want to do is to make someone's pain trite or to say like those things like, oh, you're fine, God's working in the midst of this. Uh, But really, if there's a way that we can honor that pain and also give us a sense of meaning to it, then, I mean, who's not about that? Like, that sounds great. This is when it dawned on me that our desert experiences are remarkably similar to working out. Stick with me here. No matter what you do or how, or what you have done in the past, when you work out, it hurts. Your lungs, are, your lungs burn, your muscles fatigue, you have mental anguish over what you wish you could do but couldn't or thought you could do but didn't. So unless your version of working out is, uh, do you know yoga's corpse pose where you just lay on the ground with your hands up and just hang out there? Uh, so unless it's that, working out is painful in some way, right? Even if you do the same thing you've always done, Uh, as soon as you start sweating, your body is telling you that you have moved beyond 
your normal stasis, right? Something is a little bit different. We can recognize that there are workouts that both during and afterwards, we get tremendous benefits. We feel strong. We move our bodies in a way that we don't get to in our normal day-to-day -day activities. Uh, sometimes uh, working out manages our like live wire emotions to kind of tamp us down to be more socially appropriate. Uh, and hopefully it increases the likelihood of a healthy life expectancy. But then there are workouts that we get injured in where no amount of post-workout high will be enough to be glad that you slipped a disc or twisted your ankle or pulled a muscle. There are deserts that hurt while we're in them and make us more connected to God, to ourselves and others, ones that shape us to be the people that we really want to be, ones that make us stronger, able to reflect even more fruit of the Spirit. And then there are deserts that are just plain painful, where we watch a dream or a loved one die, where we have to face a betrayal from someone who we thought would never betray us. We may know in those moments that God is still faithful in these spaces, but that's still not good enough. It's not enough benefit that makes us glad that we're in those spaces or glad that it happened. Luckily, the punchline for these kinds of situations, and it's true for my brilliant workout metaphor, is that when the desert is gutting you, what will help you heal is all the previous deserts you've gone through, all the fruit that has been cultivated in you, all those desert experiences that you've been through have shaped you. They've expanded who you know Jesus to be, his provision. We just sang about it. The support of the community around you, your own capacity to do really hard things. It won't necessarily change the present moment of pain, but it will provide a scaffolding of how to navigate the pain and you will make it. Fruit naturally and abundantly grows in the desert. And fruit trees adapt in seasons of drought in a beautiful life-giving way. And the same is true for us. Tomorrow's Labor Day. Hopefully most of you have it off. Unless you're in healthcare, then I really hope you're working because we need you right now. Uh, but for many of us, work is a place of desert right now, especially those in healthcare. Uh, the lack of motivation, the exhaustion, that comes especially for working parents, the mass exodus of the workforce, the disenfranchisement of both the work itself and the, how the work impacts the rest of our lives. Uh, Forbes, the BBC and NPR all wrote articles back in June about what's been coined the great resignation. Have you, have you heard about this? That in the month of April in the US, 4 million people quit their jobs. And in June, these surveys were released saying that up to 40% of people say that they would quit their job right now if it was possible. In trying to understand what's brought this about, some articles suggest that COVID has brought clarity about the important things of life. That the amount of time that work was taking was just too much and people didn't want to pay that price anymore. One person surveyed who quit her job to become a full-time YouTuber described that what she called years of silent agony, that she just couldn't take it anymore. She had to get away. If you're one of those folks who feel like your work 
is particularly a desert in your life right now, two key truths might be of encouragement. The first is that work is not part of the fall. Work is part of God's good creation. Work was created well before the whole tree situation. The toil associated with work is more about us than it is about God's intention in our lives. Toil comes when we make work more important in our lives than it should be. And really no judgment. I mean, a lot of us do that. I do that. Our culture tells us to do that, but that's not God's plan for us. The second is that there's no divide between the sacred and secular. God is in all things, causing his fruit to grow and his will to be done in all aspects of human life. So there's meaning in your work. Unless your industry is involved in trafficking of some kind, what you're doing is contributing to God's good work in the world. If those two things don't feel true, please come chat with me. There's a whole bunch of people, uh, both on our staff and uh, uh, our lay people who've gone through a, a nine-month faith and work program that is really helpful and would love to like walk alongside you in the midst of this desert you might be experiencing. Also, you can just watch old Labor Day sermons if you want to just kind of streamline that and not talk to another person. But both are options. The fruit of the Spirit is daily being cultivated in all aspects of our life. The gift is that not only all the opportunities that we're going to have to cultivate it, but that we don't have to do it alone, that God's Holy Spirit is navigating that with us. Whether you're feeling the flourishing of this season or you're in what seems like a desert, fruit is still growing. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you of these truths and we thank you of all the stories represented in this room. Lord, I pray that today we would know it to be true even more, that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to us and reminding us that this is not toil, this is simply walking in the strength that you've given us. In your name, amen.